Hi, everybody. Anne Louise Gittleman here with your First Lady of Nutrition podcast. And what a First Lady do I have here? She's none other than Dr. Dolores Cahill, who is a world-renowned immunologist, and she has much to say about this pandemic and any other that's coming our way. Dr. Dolores, what a pleasure to have you with me today. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Now, what do you have to say about this pandemic? Are we doing everything right or what are we doing wrong? Very simply, I think we've done everything wrong. I think it's the biggest mistake of the millennium. But in case people only listen to the first few minutes to give them hope, there's no need for the lockdown, no need for masks, no need for social distancing. We should eat well, have little stress, boost our immune system, and we will be healthy. So the reality here is we shouldn't be afraid of a virus or a bacteria or God forbid a parasitic infection. It's really being afraid of a weak immune system. Wouldn't you say that simplifies your message? Absolutely, that you can actually eat well, reduce stress, um, make sure you have vitamins and zinc, particularly for a viral infection, and you can boost your immune system and you don't have to worry. And also we'll talk a little bit later about prevent treatments, prevention and treatment. If you start to get symptoms, hydroxychloroquine and zinc. So the shutdown should end. Uh, people should go back to their daily lives. They should hug each other. They should enjoy, you know, the interactions with their families and friends and the lockdown can end overnight. You know, I was just in my doctor's office doing a uh, just a conventional blood test and I had to wear a mask inside and outside. So tell me what is so deleterious and unhealthy about wearing a mask. So there's in this uh, coronavirus, there's absolutely no need for a mask. So what it does, first of all, the pore sizes of the masks are much bigger than the virus. So the virus could actually get through if that was the mode of transmission. So the masks are not helping. Secondly, the virus is not transmitted by the air. So the masks are not necessary, but the mask reduce people's oxygen that they're breathing in and they capture more of their carbon dioxide. So that actually means they are oxygen deprived and that weakens their immune system overall. But also if they have latent viruses because their immune system is depressed and weakened, those viruses might come up and they will get more sickness because of wearing the mask. So it's not necessary for this virus. It would be if it was Ebola, but not for this Corona one. And it's making them sicker and you're not really protecting anyone anyway. So I wish I wish no need to do it. Wish everybody would get that message. So if it's not, if this particular virus is not spread airborne, then how does it spread from one individual to another? So it spreads through droplets. And so what I've been saying, people should be aware of how it spreads so that they should cough into their elbow um, and they shouldn't sneeze. You know, they should cover themselves when they're sneezing, wash their hands. And so it spreads, we'll say, on door handles or whatever. But of course, the other thing is, this is the third virus that has come this flu season. So if we are generally healthy, we shouldn't be afraid of viruses. They actually boost our immune system. So partly we have evolved with viruses, you know? That makes perfect sense. So are you a believer in herd Im immunity? Yes, and I think it might be a little bit of an unfortunate name. So I suppose what we should be clarifying that is that we are protecting each other through protective herd immunity. So, you know, we had influenza B in December, influenza A in January, February, we've had Corona now in, we'll say March and April, and it's entirely gone. Next winter, we will have lots more viruses. They circulate the globe, one or two or three every year, every flu season. 
And so they're nothing to be afraid of. And if you have a healthy immune system, they actually, um, your immune system boosts itself by getting rid of the virus. So in coronavirus, you clear it, you build up an immune response, you have antibodies, you'll be immune against that virus for life. But actually when we interact naturally in the world, you're, you prevent your immune system targeting yourself, you know? So we would have known that it would be inappropriate for children to be in a bubble, you know, because mm -hmm. they wouldn't boost their immune system when they're children. So it's the same thing with adults. We've actually, you know, evolved these things of shaking hands and actually giving each other kisses on the cheek because we actually are boosting each other's immune system and developing herd immunity all the time. And societies that do that are healthier. So it's entirely the wrong thing to do uh, to wear masks and to not to engage in society. So these viruses keep us healthy by allowing the immune system to react against them, clear them, but then it doesn't target ourselves and doesn't develop autoimmune diseases and cancer. So I guess my next question would be, is this virus like any other virus or does it have the footprints or fingerprints of being a manipulated uh, laboratory virus? Very good question. So 40% so 40 of the time in the last 60 years, when we get flu-like symptoms, it's coronavirus. So coronaviruses circulate the globe all the time. So, you know, four years out of 10, we will get a coronavirus. So we come across it all the time. This is just another coronavirus. The common cold is also a coronavirus. So we've been evolved with these, you know, we meet them all the time. So it does turn out though, that there is, if we believe the sequence that was submitted about this virus, there is 12 nucleotides that seem to be unusual about this virus. But in general, this virus has 30,000 nucleotides. And this little 12 nucleotides uh, binds a furin. And that is from, seems to be from a different organism. And furin is a way of how a virus can get into a cell. So there was a Nature Medicine paper in April 2020 that showed the sequence of these 12 nucleotides that was like a gap, you know? The rest of the virus was homologous to other humans and bat-like viruses, but there was this little 12 nucleotide gap. And when I looked at that, I said, well, that's obviously been ligated in there, which you can do. I'm a molecular biologist. You could do that within a week, no problem. And that uh, would take hundreds of years for that to happen naturally. Mm. But luckily for humanity, it turns out that it hasn't had much of an impact, these 12 nucleotides. But in general, the 30,000 nucleotides of the coronavirus are very similar to other coronaviruses, and all of them are about 80% identical, you know, the coronaviruses to each other. So then who is at most risk for this particular virus? So people who have low immune systems. So it turns out about between 50 and 80% of people will have no symptoms. So they will actually be fine. And some of those groups that will be fine in the population, it turns out that children and young teenagers don't have the receptors for the virus. So they can breathe in the virus and they won't get sick. The virus doesn't multiply in their body and they won't actually transfer it to other children or to adults or grandparents. So if you have anyone elderly listening, there's been no case in the world where a child has actually transmitted it to an elderly person so they can hug their children mm. and those children can go back to school. Good news. <laughs> yeah, that's all good news. Um, and then it turns out that some adults don't have the receptor for the virus either. 
So they actually will be negative on PCR. They won't have any antibodies, but they won't ever get sick. So that actually we can stray into the testing that a lot of people would never actually get the virus, but they might test positive for ever having it. So they're not at risk. So the, it turns out probably only about one in a hundred or five in a hundred people will even get the flu-like symptoms. You know, so 80 out of 100 people won't even get any symptoms. They'll be fine. Either they don't have the receptor, their children, or their immune system is very good. So there might be, out of the remaining 20, we'll say, maybe 15 might get minor flu-like symptoms where they wouldn't even have to go to bed. They're fine. Then five in 100 people will probably get flu-like symptoms, and one or two in 100 will start to develop a cough. Uh, and then we'll feel quite unwell and we'll, um, you know, maybe we'll feel quite ill. So they would tend to be people that might have underlying conditions like cancer, uh, cystic fibrosis, or they may have a reduced immune system because they're not eating well and they haven't boosted their vitamins A, D, sorry, D, C and zinc. So... I've, I've done a lot of reading about what one does, God forbid, if you come down with a virus or somebody in your family seems to contract it. Is there a blood type connection, do you believe, with this particular virus? So I haven't read the papers myself, but I have uh, you know, read something that I think it's group O is less susceptible, but yes. I haven't actually gone through the papers. And that could just be an anom anomaly, you know, the same as the virus gets in with these ACE2 receptors. And it seems that some people have those, either very few of those receptors on their cells, and some people have them in their digestive tract and they get diarrhea. And most people have them in their throat and their lungs, and then they get the breathing difficulties. So you can have, you know, we're learning a lot about how viruses get into the cells. But the other thing is what I learned from Dr. Sherry Tenpenny is that we don't have to say that elderly people are at risk per se. It's elderly people who haven't boosted their immune system by eating well ah. and having vitamin D, C, and zinc. So you could be like, my mom is 94, and because she's taking vitamin D, C, and zinc, she's fine, and she hasn't got the virus. You know what I mean? So we don't want to scare people. We want to empower them by saying, less stress, go out and get a little bit of a walk so you get sunlight on your skin to produce vitamin D, and then have, if you want, supplement vitamin D, C, and zinc as well. So we see that people may also be asymptomatic, would you say? Are they considered to be asymptomatic carriers? Is there truth to that? No, no that's truth? not true. No, that's not true at all. Because generally when you get a virus, like all viruses, you know, if it goes into your body, your immune system will clear it within uh, two weeks. And then you're, so you clear this virus. Coronaviruses, you clear it, which means your immune system is activated. You put your uh, antibodies against it and your whole T and B cell response. And within two or three weeks, the virus is gone. So you would actually test negative for a PCR test because you don't have any virus there. Um, but you would develop antibodies after two or three weeks. And you, those antibodies would stay in your body. And the next time you would meet a similar virus, those antibodies would clear it much quicker. So, so people are looking forward to a vaccine. Are you a believer in a coronavirus vaccine? It's a loaded, so, it's a loaded question, by the way. That's you? fine. So I think, first of all, um, you know, our so you have to, what I would say for a vaccine, of course, you could make a safe vaccine. You know, the vaccines are as safe as the ingredients that's in them. Good point. Yeah. 
So I would be pro safe vaccines. And of course you can make them safe. And I, my technology, one of the applications was to identify proteins to find an antibody response in people that actually was say in Africa in meningitis did not die when other people died. And those antibodies allowed them to be alive. So they identified proteins on this meningitis B that kept them alive. So that, that would be indicators of a protective immune response and antibody response. So if you use those proteins in a virus and just you use saline or buffer, uh, then it can be safe. But the thing is that there are aluminium in 70% of the vaccines on the American schedule. And aluminium is a neurotoxin. It is intrinsically unsafe. So I would say, uh, and you call it um, aluminum, <laughs> or it's alum, or it's ALSO4, you know, yes. ALUM, yes. or aluminum. So we say aluminium, uh, but that is intrinsically unsafe. It is a neurotoxin. It's an irritant of the immune system and can lead to autoimmune diseases. So I would say if a vaccine had aluminium in it, I would definitely not take it. And if there was any mercury, I wouldn't take it either. And vaccines now have things like glyphosate um, that actually disturb the immune system and are very toxic to the body. So that is... So that is in general with vaccines, people need to be informed what's in them. Um, and then it turns out why I spoke out in early May was that a, a Dr. Wolf in the American military forces did an excellent paper looking at vaccines that were given to all of the American military. And he realized that the influenza vaccine that was given to the military in 2017, 2018, was grown on dog tissue that had coronaviruses. Mm. And that the soldiers were fine after that vaccine. But when they came across, you know, months or a year later, another circulating coronavirus, 36% of them had adverse events, one in three. So, so that, and that is due to a phenomenon called viral interference. Uh, and that's why there are no coronavirus vaccines on the American schedule, because when they try and make a vaccine to coronavirus itself, or if there are coronaviruses in a tissue in another vaccine, that the animal models are okay after the vaccine. But if they come across the coronavirus in the air, you know, sometime later, the animals get sick and some of them die. And it turns out it's the same in humans. So why there is no vaccine to coronavirus for the last, we'll say since SARS, uh, the first SARS COVID-1 was 17 years ago. They've been trying to make a vaccine to it, but it hasn't proved safe enough and therefore it's not licensed. So there, why I'm speaking out is the solution to this so-called virus is not a vaccine in my opinion because it has been shown for 17 years that those vaccines can have a lot of adverse events in people not after the vaccine but when next time they come across a coronavirus which could be six months or a year or two later a significant proportion can be very sick and some of them can die so it's all about the immune system and it is, and it looks like that the coronavirus naturally, you know, that we have this very specific response to coronavirus. And if we see a coronavirus from a dog or another animal like a monkey, 
because that tissue is in the vaccine, that our bodies make an immune response to the dog coronavirus. And then when we see a similar coronavirus that comes to humans, that we make this overemphasized or overplayed uh, immune response that actually can make us very sick and people can die quite quickly within a few days. And why people like me are talking about it is that you have to really know immunology to be aware of that. Um, but if we don't speak out and people are getting this vaccine, the next coronavirus could circulate in a year and we could have huge numbers of illnesses and deaths, much more than the, this current coronavirus. So what would you do if somebody in your household got the symptoms of the coronavirus or any other kind of virus? What are the, what are the natural treatments that you would engage in? And so I suppose I did get it. My husband went to America in December uh, twice and January and he brought it home. Had a, we knew he had it because he had this very unusual cough and I got it in January and February. Now, I was actually standing for election at the time. The election, I think, was February the 8th. And that's probably why I got it, because I was quite stressed and I was working <laughs> as well. But partly why I actually got breathless towards the end, you know, mm. and I had pneumonia twice in my life. So it actually was quite scary, you know, a little bit scary for two or three days. And then luckily it just disappeared. But now if I was doing it, which I am doing now, is I'm taking vitamin D, C, and zinc. And how much do you how much D are you taking? I think it's a thousand units. I just we have a very good brand. Uh, I don't have it right. It's called <laughs> Skullgar or whatever. Yes. And we I just take it's one tablet. I think it's five. It's it's D three. Yes. Uh, I think it could be five thousand IU. Um, and then I'm taking vitamin C and then zinc. I think it's thirty milligrams in one tablet. So those um, are, but there, there is the Dr. Zelenko protocol and there are doctors out there who are recommending uh, vitamins for different, you know, latitudes as well. So I think it would be better to look at a, a medical doctor, you know, that would recommend for people uh, or maybe even measure what would be the correct dose of vitamin D for them. Yes, and I live here in the Northwest, which is very vitamin D deficient. So many of us take a test every four to six yeah. months, and, and I take 10,000 IUs daily to make sure I'm up to 50 to 80 NGs per DL on my blood test. So that's, that's, it. that's it. And I suppose we should also say that if you have dark skin, uh, if you're African-American or you're Asian, that they also don't absorb as much vitamin D in sunlight, so they really need to look out. And, and it looks like, we'll say in Sweden, a lot of the Africans and Somalis, they have a, a higher death rate in Sweden because they have some Africans there who were vitamin, looks like that they didn't absorb enough vitamin D and therefore they were badly affected uh, by the coronavirus. So that's what I would do is eat well, reduce stress, vitamin D, C, and zinc. And tell me about the antiviral herbal remedy, elderberry. Does that have any application in this particular virus? So I have read about that, but it would not be my area of expertise. And I also know that there is um, coming out of Madagascar that there seems to be um, a herbal treatment as well, but I haven't researched it and I'm not a nutritionist. So I would, if you know more about it, I'd be very happy to learn from you. Well, all I, all I know is that apparently it has application. Originally, we thought that it instigated a cytokine st storm, you know, a kind of inflammatory storm that everybody is quoting all over the place these days, but now it seems to be A-OK. -okay. But the question is, in this country, the efficacy of using the anti-malarials as a treatment. So tell me about 
what you think about that. Exactly. So I suppose I, I have really done a lot of research on hydroxychloroquine just yes. in the last month. And one of the, re well, the reason why I came out is because on the 5th of May, 2020, the Irish Medicines Organization had a press release to say they were going to mandatorily vaccinate the total population of Ireland. So we don't have mandatory vaccines here. But also there were, I had read issues that there was issues with this influenza vaccine that it had corona tissue and was causing, you know, in one in three people, major issues. But the other reason why I came out is that the lockdown is not necessary because I do believe that hydroxychloroquine, the anti-malarial, in combination with zinc, uh, can work as a preventative dose. So when you were saying what, if you were, we'll say 97 or you had a reduced immune system, you could speak to your doctor and get the preventative dose of hydroxychloroquine and zinc, which is one 200 milligram tablet every three weeks. And it looks like that that will protect you from getting any symptoms of the virus and that your doctor can check that your heart is fine, you're suitable for that treatment, and then you won't have to worry about getting the flu symptoms and you won't end up in hospital. It's been proven to be very effective. I think that currently is what our president is taking, if I'm not mistaken, a yeah. preventative dose. Yeah. And, and so I find it very interesting because the hydroxychloroquine is also used for rheumatoid arthritis. And I have patients that, are, that have lupus that are using this anti-malarial. Right. So to me, there's like yeah. an infectious agent involved with some of these autoimmune issues as well, which just leads me to another question. Or maybe it dampens the immune response as well, you know, and, and just to say hydroxychloroquine was on the list of essential medicines in the world. Which, uh, up until like why the WHO in 2017, which means that it cannot run out. And just to reiterate your point, somebody in Italy in the R Rheumatology Society looked at 65,000 people in March and April that were taking hydroxychloroquine for arthritis and lupus, generally elderly. And out of 65,000, there was no deaths mm. and only 20 people went to hospital. So that they were taking it for another reason. But as we know, in Italy, there was quite a substantial number of deaths. So this is like a clinical trial. Well, it's not a clinical trial, but it's an observational study. Mm -hmm. And out of 65,000 people, there were no deaths and only 20 went to hospital. So that actually reiterates uh, how good hydroxychloroquine is. And there has been one or two studies that have come out that challenge hydroxychloroquine, but it turns out they were very badly designed. And just last night, the Lancet study yes. was to have been inappropriately designed. And there was a company there, um, you know, that they actually reported cases from Australia where the hospitals in Australia, when an investigative journalist rang up the hospitals, they said they weren't aware of this study and hadn't contributed data to it. So the Lancet editor has now said there was issues with the study and the World Health Organization just yesterday has come out and said, the clinical trial involving many doctors around the world can go ahead because the reports about hydroxychloroquine having no benefit with zinc was incorrect. Mm, so, so important. I think this was all done purposely to get this vaccine somehow into the American... Uh, well, it also as well undermines the credibility of like Lancet, you know, some of these brilliant um, scientific journals that if they are going at with you know, a very significant study and that nobody in the peer review has actually checked if the results are true and the, that has ended up in a safe medicine being withdrawn in the middle of a pandemic where you know, globally the population might be prevented from having this really effective drug 
that that could cause a lot of unnecessary deaths. Mm. And that's why I've been calling for like an inquiry into the whole, you know, it's really the medical organization and the journals are really not being rigorous enough to try and get treatments out to people. And I think I, the issue around hydroxychloroquine is if that works with zinc, then you don't need the lockdown. You don't need social distancing. You don't need, uh, you know, people can go back to work and go back to school. The tourism industry can go ahead. Small businesses can just carry on. So I think that is the pushback for hydrox. And you also don't need a vaccine, you know? Mm, most importantly. And so you are an immunologist, world-renowned, and you've certainly been gaining quite a lot of notoriety these days, well-deserved fame, might I add. What are you eating? Can you just tell my listening audience what you as an immunologist eat on a daily basis and what don't you eat, even more importantly? Well, that's very interesting. So I've always wanted to try fasting. And normally I have to travel a lot for my work and I'm quite busy. So actually for the lockdown, I've been fasting uh, 23 hours a day, um, which I'm really enjoying. And I drink a lot of water from Malaysia called Acillus, mm. which has, a, it's called, it has a silicate in it. It has silica, 55.2 milligram per liter. And it was actually recommended by Professor Chris Exley, who studies aluminium. Yes, and it's a way of removing aluminium. Um, yes, 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 yes. I'm so pleased that you mentioned that because people don't realize that we get so much aluminum, we get the nano aluminum with all it. the sprays in the air. Yeah. So that's so I've terrific. been fasting for the last um, maybe six weeks or so, uh, and then because I'm celiac, I had a lot of vaccines when I was working in the biosafety lab. And if you get a lot of vaccines, you get autoimmune diseases. So I um, celiac disease. So I just eat, um, you know a small amount of meat, um, and then just some vegetables. And you don't eat sugar is what I wanted you to no, say. No, I don't eat sugar or carbohydrates. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't. But I wouldn't have done that for many, many years. Yeah. So I think as well, a lot of the advice around not eating meat is incorrect. And a lot of the studies that were supporting, you know, the not so good things about meat have turned out to be incorrect. So one of the things that I'm very hopeful, actually, is that this discussion about the importance of nutrition and vitamins and nutrients might lead to people actually having the confidence to learn that you can be healthy by eating well and you can reduce a lot of symptoms in um, autoimmune diseases and cancer if you actually eat well. Eat well, eat food that is untainted with no pesticides, no herbicides, no GMOs. No added sugar, no added additives, no aluminum, no mercury, no polysorbate 80. No glyphosate. Absolutely. Which is a big problem in our country. Yeah. And also the water, you know, in Ireland, we have um, a, this fluoride in the water and it turns out to not be healthy at all. Yes. And that's why I don't drink tap water, you know. So it turns out as well, it's very difficult for the body to metabolize vitamin D if you have the fluorinated water. And Ireland is one of the few countries in the world that we still have it and we also uh, the republic of ireland has one of the highest incidences of autoimmune diseases oh and i didn't i oh wait wait a minute take some time about that i i never realized that do they think it's because of the fluoridated water well i mean in northern ireland they don't have fluoride in the water and they don't have a normal rate of autoimmune disease and we have eight times you know in most i think we're the only uh, country in the european union that still has it so it's a decision of our own country um, but what I was just learning about, 
in the last year or so is that it prevents the correct metabolism of vitamin D so that even if uh, we eat well, we can still be deficient in vitamin D and that can lead to a lot of chronic illnesses like autoimmune diseases and we have a very high incidence of autoimmune disease and cancer. So, So I think part of this awakening might be and partly why I was happy to join a political party and stand for election, even though I'm not a medical doctor and I'm not a nutritionist, that there's a lot of research now to show that how farmers can actually um, bring back nutrients into the soil and that what we could do is potentially have a clinical trial to look at people who are eating properly and good food and see if they are healthier, you know? So in our country, we have a a voice of reason who has really enlightened many of us. And I had her on our podcast several weeks ago, Dr. Judy Mikovits. Do you stand in solidarity with her views? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. She's a world-renowned expert and a virologist. And I think she has given people like me the confidence to uh, speak as well. And I was very honored. I know Dr. Sherry Tempany for many years, but I wanted to publicize this about three weeks ago, and uh, Dr. Tempany got in touch with Judy Mikovic, and I interviewed both of them on a new uh, media channel that we were setting up just to trying to open the debate about this. So she immediately uh, responded and gave me an hour of her time, which I was great, very grateful for. Wonderful. Is there any, any other types of reading that you think people should do? Are there any other way showers out there besides our Judy Mikovic that you are in favor of? Well, I think Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, she has, um, her website is Vaxter, V-A-X-X-T-E-R. Um, and she is extremely knowledgeable about uh, food and nutrition and uh, vaccines and vaccine ingredients. Yes. And she's a medical doctor, but also how to recover, uh, you know, children and family members, uh, you know, from vaccine injuries, because if you identify them, and also Judy Mikovic herself, has also um, been involved in discovering, I think it's low dose type one interferon. And she also recommends like going swimming, you know, and just having nutrition. And <laughs> I would also say reduce stress in your life. And, Definitely. And I volunteer as well. And it's been shown that, you know, exercise like volunteering or joining a choir um, is that's actually very beneficial to reduce stress, you know, and to engage and to feel needed in the world. You know, no matter what age you are, if you try and help someone else, it actually is very uh, soothing and rewarding and you actually do actually boost your immune system and feel better and healthier. If you do. Yes, it's that power of connectivity, I think, that's so And important. needed, especially. And I think part of the thing I'm involved in politics as well is that maybe we should, you know, keep elderly family members, uh, you know, in the family and maybe design, like in other countries, they design houses where you can have two small apartments and one you know family home so that you could have someone who's older or younger to live in the family house you know kind of independently but also there and then there would be a better connection between grandparents and grandchildren you know and so the extended important. family so, so I, I think that you know putting we also saw what happened in new york with the care homes that you know we have never quarantined healthy people you could potentially quarantine people in care homes to boost their immune system and give them a preventative dose, even though hydroxychloroquine works in three hours. Mm. So, you know, that could have been done in a few days. But I think what we've seen now is where they put people who were infecting the care homes and didn't look after the elderly. It actually would make people afraid of being in care homes. You know, we should really not have old people afraid and they should not be communicated like they're a burden. And it's entirely wrong when they were saying that they would not be brought to hospital if they had other issues. 
you know, it, there's a whole lot of medical and moral and ethical issues that no matter how old you are, you should be treated with dignity and respect and not have unnecessary fear. And I think we need to challenge the government and policymakers that they should, they did this entirely wrong. Absolutely. Look after our elderly. Yeah. Absolutely. So we, we spoke a little bit about vaccinations. Can you talk, even though it's not directly on the topic, your feelings about autism and its connection with vaccinations? That's a very deep difficult breath, one. Deep breath. Yes, deep breath. Um, so I have looked into this and I suppose when I looked into it, I, well, one of the reasons why I got, I stood for election as well was that when my daughter was getting the HPV vaccine, we got an envelope from the school and there was no um, patient information leaflet. And that's, of course, you know, we have a contract in society for informed consent. And in Ireland, a medical doctor, it's a crime of a battery, you know, if a doctor actually does anything to a patient um, without informed consent. So that, I think, is a breach of the bond between, uh, you know, the medical community and patients. Um, so just to say, when I then looked into the HPV vaccine, and I saw that the severe adverse event rate in HPV was 2.3%. So your risk is one in 50 of a 12 year old of having a severe adverse event is one in 50. But the risk of getting cervical cancer as a 52 year old is about one in 700. So that that's a relationship where the potential adverse event associated with the vaccine is much higher than the risk and you could have 40 years of ill health in between. So to get back then, when I looked at the DPT vaccine, I started to look at all of the adverse events. And in the DPT vaccine, autism was one of the adverse events written on the patient information leaflet for the DPT vaccine. It's an area that is a very volatile area in this country. It is a topic that I very rarely post about because I get very vitriolic comments from both sides, quite frankly. So if someone were to get a series of vaccinations, are there any natural homeopathics that you know can neutralize the ill effects perhaps? So all I would say, the world expert is Professor Chris Exley. And I went to visit him about two or three years ago because I was so concerned to see if I could help him, you know, even if it was just uh, to write grants or whatever. So he has done a lot of studies. And I think, so he has found that this, silica water that comes from volcanoes um, if you give it to people which, who have a lot of aluminium he's done a phase one clinical trial that the aluminium can come out you can actually detect it in the urine mm, is this even the nano aluminum yeah as far as i know as far as i know and, and what happens is it looks like that um people that if you give any we say children or babies uh, or anyone a vaccine that about half or 60% of people will excrete the aluminium in their urine and they have the detoxifying pathways. But in people that get the most adverse events and it seems to be boys more than girls mm. and it seems to be African-American boys, it looks like that they don't have the detoxifying pathways including in their mitochondria to get rid of the aluminium. So the aluminium stays in their body and because aluminium is a nanoparticle like asbestos, it's actually physically too big for the immune system to get rid of, but the immune system keeps trying to get rid of it. And it seems to actually be transported to the brain and to pass the blood brain barrier. And normally there isn't an inflammation or an immune reaction in the brain, 
but there is when you have aluminium. And Professor Blaylock actually gives excellent yes. talks to describe yes. the inflammation in the brain. And, and Professor Chris Exley from the United Kingdom has shown that the aluminium is actually physically in the brain. And he has done that when families where autistic children have been in car accidents and donated their bodies and their brains that he has published and he's the world expert on aluminium. And it turns out that the aluminium is often the same as in the vaccines. So it makes a lot of sense. And there has been some papers to say that autism is almost like uh, early Alzheimer-like symptoms. And it would also make sense that these nanoparticles would seed potentially the inflammation in the brain, you know? So the name of that water that you're drinking, would you spell that out for my listeners? Yeah, sure. So if you remember it, it's called silica backwards. So it's a silus. Oh, easy. Er. <laughs> yeah. Very so it's called A-C-I-L-I-S. And I have a bottle here and it comes from Malaysia. Now, I don't actually, you know, in principle, I would like to buy local and in season. So um, this water has to be bottled in Malaysia, it comes from a volcano and it turns out you need the heat and the pressure of a volcano to keep this uh, silica in the water. But I think as well, you have a uh, Valvik, I think as well, which also has the silica in the water and it comes from a yes, volcano. Yes, it's, it's, my, it's my favorite water. You're saying all the right things. The Valvik yeah. water, I've been, I've been a promoter for many years. Exactly. So the good thing is, you know, especially if you have uh, children that are unwell, I guess they can um, drink this and it could potentially get rid of the aluminium. And I, I find it, uh, I feel much better when I'm drinking it. But of course, I'm not a medical doctor, but Professor Chris Exley has already done a phase one clinical trial and he has tested the aluminium in the urine. So it seems that the silica binds the aluminium and it, in people who don't normally metabolize to get rid of the aluminium, they are able to metabolize it and you can detect it in the urine. Excellent, excellent information. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to cover in our remaining two minutes? No, but just to say, I suppose for autism, the first case was in 1934, you know, and there was very few cases. And now it's something like one in 32 Americans have autism or one in 22 boys. So that, you know, we have to look at environmental consequences because it's not a genetic disease genetic diseases don't suddenly explode in a population. So it all goes back to the strong immune system, the ability to detoxify, having good genetics or having good epigenetics, call it whatever you will. So I wanna thank you for all of your very, very uh, enlightening and very, um, how shall we say, pioneering work in this field. We need more women like you. Thank you, well, it's so, I'm so honored to be on your podcast and uh, thank you for all the great work you do. And you know, there's only a few voices talking about de you know, de-stressing, nutrition, uh, you know, volunteering, engaging you know, in life and trying to have a positive outlook in the world. And that's really important to keep people healthy, no matter what age you are in life, whatever decade you are. So thank you for giving me the opportunity. My pleasure. And I want to thank all of my listeners for joining me once again on the First Lady of Nutrition podcast with Dr. Dolores Cahill. God bless you.